Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast. A special thanks to our newest patrons, Kristen Valenti, Shay Sterrett, and Rosa D'Souza. By becoming our patrons, Kristen, Shay, and Rosa now get their own private podcast feed with full transcripts delivered right to their smartphone. They also get access to our special series for patrons, Our Sunday Talks. To learn how you can get these same benefits for only $3 a month, please go to livinghour.org patron. Thank you. Today's talk was edited and adapted from Love's Way by Orison Sweat Martin, published in 1918. A single bee lacks the necessary intelligence to make honey. It is only when they work together that bees become productive. If all the bees in the hive were separated and forced to live alone, they would make no honey, not even to sustain life. Through lack of individual intelligence, they would die of starvation. In other words, a hive of bees has a well-defined purpose, but one bee alone has no purpose, no plans, no intelligence. In short, a bee separated from its fellow bees is absolutely helpless, absolutely useless. What is true of the bee is in a large degree true of a human being, a person separated from others without any of the social advantages, conveniences, or facilities which community life affords would be practically helpless. The strength of each one of us is dependent on our unity with all the others, because we are all parts of one whole. History and experience show that humankind rises or falls together. Every real and permanent advance since the world began has been due to the action of the great principle of human brotherhood and sisterhood the majority acting together for the good of all. The fact is, we are made to help one another en masse. It is a law of nature that men and women begin to deteriorate when they are separated from society. No person can permanently separate themselves from society without shrinking. No one, no matter how clever or resourceful, is totally independent. No one is a whole individual alone. We are large and powerful in proportion as we are related to our neighbors and community. We must touch other lives or lose power. We are so constituted that a thousand relations with our community are necessary for our largest development, our completest life when we cut ourselves off from the common life, we cut off a great many currents of power, close many avenues of interrelation, which bring strength and rich experience. Take a writer, for example. If they seclude themselves from society, they begin after a while to lose their mental vigor, 
their brain has less stamina. There is a weakening all along the line, until, if they seclude themselves too long, their writings become flat, insipid, flavorless. To keep up to standard, the writer's brain must have new food, greater variety, fresh experiences. They must meet new people, visit new scenes, mix with the world, fulfill their social functions. That is nature's law, and the penalty for its violation is mental paralysis. What is true of the writer is true of men and women in every calling. Separate yourself from the world, and you are like a single wire in an untwisted cable. A large part of your strength comes from your close association with other women and men. It did not reside in you initially, but only became yours when you were closely entwined with others. People succeed only as they work together, said Albert Hubbard. Without companionship, ambition droops, courage flags, reason totters, Ambition vanishes, and the individual dies. The one who does useful work is in direct communication with other people. They work for others, and the thought that they are doing something for somebody sustains them. This tying together of human beings so that they cannot get their fullest power alone is one of the wisest provisions of nature for the conquering of selfishness, the greatest foe of human development. A spirit of selfishness brings its own punishment, just as a broad, generous spirit brings its own reward. For the more a person helps others, the more closely they touch other lives, the more they expand and grow the more love and power comes back to them, while the selfish person, who secludes themselves from others, who has no sympathy for their neighbors, who tries to get everything for themselves, and gives as little as possible, is constantly shrinking and narrowing their boundaries. They are robbing themselves of power when they think they are acquiring it, in the long run, selfishness defeats its object. Every created thing is a part of the divine universal plan, in which each of us is intended to play an individual part. But though individual, we are still unified in essence. Our neighbor is ourself because there is only one mind in the universe. And since all is an expression of that infinite mind, there can be no real separateness of individuals. When we realize that we are actually one with our neighbor, we cannot help loving them as ourselves, because they are one with us in the great universal principle which underlies all being, which is the truth of all truths. It is our ignorance of this oneness of life, our failure to realize this marvelous unity of being, that gives us false ideas about life. This is what makes us selfish, 
This is why we grab things from our neighbor, because we do not know that they are really ourselves. To contemplate the oneness of all creation, to hold fast to the truth that all things are but a manifestation of the creative thought of God, not only draws all people closer to God and to one another, but it enlarges the mind and enriches the nature as nothing else can. The habit of looking upon all human beings as one kills ill will and hatred. It removes all prejudice against some fortunate human beings who have gone astray, sing greatly, or become criminals. The thought of our oneness with the Creator gives us a new view of life, a new thought of humanity, and a new thought of God. This idea of our unity with God captured the imagination of Edgar Allan Poe, who said, I think that our sense of individual identity will be gradually merged in the general consciousness, that we will eventually attain that awfully triumphant epoch when we shall recognize our existence as that of Jehovah. This is not an atheistic banishment of God and the holy angels, but is on the contrary, the enthronement of a new Jehovah, a God that has become conscious and potent in the human mind. The full realization of our oneness with God, that we actually live, move, and have our being in the divine, will elevate our standards, will give us wider, nobler views of life. Selfishness will then disappear, because it will not mean anything or rather because we shall see that it only hurts us, since all are working for the same end. When we realize that we are all parts of one life, branches of the same parent vine, we shall have no desire to get things away from others, to take advantage of them, to cheat them, because that would only mean cheating and robbing ourselves. It would be like a person taking money out of one pocket and putting it into another and trying to convince themselves that they had made a good bargain, that they had gained something. If my neighbor is myself, and I know it, I can have no desire to take advantage of them. The truth is that love is the great mind-opener, the great heart-opener, the great developer. It is what holds society together. It is the source of all peace and harmony. If children in all countries were trained to love humanity, to love all countries and their inhabitants, as they are taught to love their own country and citizens, there would be no wars. The world has tried the hatred way, the way of war, the butchering way, all up through the centuries, and they have never worked. Force has always been a failure. Civilization has tried all sorts of ways which have failed. Only one way has worked under all sorts of conditions, and that is love's way. It is the only way which will banish wars, and human strife, hatred and revenge, selfishness and greed from the world.
a principle which always works, which fits every case and every emergency, must be a universal principle. The time will come when we will think of our neighbor as ourselves, because all people will see the oneness of all life, of all truth, of all principle. The coming woman and man will know that whatever hurts their neighbor will hurt themselves, because we are all one with the one. The coming woman and man will see that they are not separate units, but that they bear the same relation to humankind as a whole, as a drop of water bears to the ocean. They will know that the thought and will of God are in every particle of the substance of the universe, in every manifestation of energy, power or force, and in every manifestation of life. Already we are beginning to understand that our welfare, our prosperity, our happiness, are not separate from the general welfare, prosperity and happiness. They are interdependent. And the time will come when we shall not consider any city or town either moral or beautiful, so long as it tolerates black spots of poverty and squalor, crime, misery, and homelessness in its midst. No person has ever become truly great, says Philip Brooks, who has not felt in some degree that their life belongs to their community and humanity at large, and that what God has given them, they give back to others. We cannot lay claim to real humanity, let alone greatness, until we have conquered all inclination to enrich ourselves at the expense of our neighbor, to take advantage of them in any way. Only in so far as we treat our neighbors as ourselves, will we find true happiness and success. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. If you or someone you love is suffering from addiction to alcohol, cigarettes, or heroin, our break-free meditations can help. Learn more at livinghour.org slash breakfree. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you next time.